Thank you, Daniel. That's, uh, yeah, we, we had an interesting ride over today. It was, it was nuts. And I am, uh, I am dressed as, as church-like as I can for the day. Uh, if, if it were any other day, I would be wearing this. <laughs> Can't wait for tonight. Uh, yeah, thank you very much as a church for supporting Great Lakes Christian College. And if any of you are uh, individual supporters, we appreciate that as well. Um, the college has uh, had some rough years, uh, but we are really, we feel that we have turned a corner. Um, we This last year, we had uh, a surplus over our budget for the first time in 10 years. Uh, it's looking like we're going to be really close to that right now, again, for this year. Uh, our student uh, enrollment is increasing when most of the nation is decreasing, so that's a, another positive thing. Um, we, uh, we, we really are, are blessed to have churches that are... Um, to believe in us and, and believe that uh, it's essential for the church of today and tomorrow to, uh, to have colleges in existence that are training uh, students to be servant leaders in the church and world. If you're a high school student and you don't know what you're doing yet or you, you're, you'd like to talk to me afterwards, I would love to talk to you about uh, just the, the possibilities that Great Lakes can offer. Uh, I'm a, I'm a 25-minute sermon guy, but Daniel told me I could go 45, so we're gonna we're gonna do that. I this is about the longest message that I have, um, and and if even if it's like uh, you don't like the message, at least I'm gonna introduce you to uh, the Brick Testament, uh, which is the the story of the Bible um, in Legos. So. Uh, we're, we're going to begin, though. The story of Joseph is one of the first stories we learn as children in Bible school. It is a story of hope and promise. It's full of twists and turns. In the end, grace overcomes revenge and good wins over evil. Who can forget? The story of Joseph spans Genesis 37 through 50. It begins with a code of many colors uh, Hebrews calls it a long sleeve coat. Um, it, you can thank the Septuagint for adding the colors to it. Um, there's the dream of the stars and the wheat, the betrayal of his brothers, uh, the slavery in Potiphar's house, uh, then the, the, the seduction or the success as a steward, and then the seduction of Potiphar's wife, um, the imprisonment. The success in prison, the dream, the dreams of the cows and the corn, the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine, the meeting with the brothers, the stolen cup in Benjamin's sack, the revelation of his true identity, the reunion with his father, and then the rest of the story. It may be the best story in the Old Testament. In fact, I, I would dare say it's one of the best stories in human history. And still, the story of Joseph is hard for me 
to relate to as a person. I am not made of the same substance as Joseph. I know that I would have fought for my freedom. I would have tried to escape from the traitors on the way to Egypt. As a young man, I have a hard time thinking I would have abstained from Mrs. Potiphar's advances. If I did, I would have protested my innocence with Potiphar's wife to the point of death. I would have tried to escape from the prison when the cupbearer forgot about me. I would have let the Egyptians die before I would have helped them save their years of plenty. I would have made my brothers squirm a whole lot more than Joseph did. And he did. I would have reminded them about the dream of the bundles of grain and the stars, the sun, and the moon. I would have given Joseph a nice, I mean, I would have given Jacob a nice house in Egypt, and my brothers would have lived in a dump. I'm not just as good as Joseph was, and I don't think I will ever be. But woven into the story of Joseph is another story of transformation, one that much of the time gets overlooked and is probably more applicable to my life and most likely your life as well. It's a story that ends up on the cutting room floor because it seems irrelevant. It's the story of Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. Joseph is almost perfect. Judah is more like me. The story of Judah begins with his birth, as all stories do. He was the fourth son of Jacob, born to Leah, the weak-eyed wife. Judah's older brothers were not men of high character. Reuben, Jacob's oldest, shortly after Jacob's family returned home to the promised land, slept with Bilhah, one of Jacob's concubines. Simeon and Levi, Jacob's second and third sons, slaughtered all the men of Shechem after they had voluntarily submitted to circumcision over the rape of Dinah, their sister. Judah was not much better. At the beginning of the Joseph saga, he was one of the brothers that wanted to kill Joseph. If not for Reuben, there wouldn't have been a Joseph sold into slavery. But once they threw Joseph into the well, it was Judah who took the lead. We find that he is a man of betrayal. In Genesis 37, verses 25 through 28, we see that Judah acted maliciously. Starting in verse 25, it says, Then they sat down to eat a meal, and as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh, on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said, to his brothers. What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. In Dante's Inferno, 
the lowest, lowest ring of hell is reserved for traitors. Traitors of family reside in Cana, uh, the first division of the ninth circle of hell, the lowest circle in the placement of punishment. The, on, the only condemned considered more vile than betrayers of their homeland, guest, and worse, their masters. I think that it would have been more merciful to just kill Joseph. Trying to turn a profit by selling your brother into slavery is a terrible thing to do. And the story of Joseph is rudely interrupted in chapter 38 with a story about Judah. We find that he is a man of impulses. Genesis 38, um, it's got 30 verses in it. And, uh, and in that, we see that Judah acts recklessly. Um, I'm going to summarize some of this, and, uh, and we'll read some of it, because I, I have to read it because you won't believe it's true if I don't read it. Uh, but Judah got married. He had uh, three children, three sons. Uh, the first one was Ur, then Onan, and then the Selah. And... Uh, they all grew up, and when Ur was old enough to, uh, to, to get married, uh, Judah found a woman to, to marry Ur, and her name was Tamar. Now, in verse 6 of chapter 38, it says, Now Judah took um, a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform, per perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that that offspring would not be his, so when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give um, offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Now, I'm not sure if I, I I'm, I'm not going to read this whole thing. So what happened is this. He has no intent to give Shelah to Tamar. And Tamar sits in her widow's clothing for year after year after year. And then she hears that Judah actually is going to be passing through her hometown. So she takes off the black clothes and she puts on the clothes of a prostitute and goes and stands by the side of the road. When Judah passes by, he sees a prostitute. His wife's been dead for several years and he's like, you know what? This would be a good thing. So he starts into negotiations with Tamar. And uh, he's like, hey, um, like, this is kind of spur of the moment. Um, can, I don't have any cash on me. And she's like, well, okay, then you give me this cord and this staff and these things that are your personal marking. It's kind of like, give me your driver's license and, uh, and I'll hold on that until you, you pay up. So Judah's like, good. So he does that. He trades that stuff. Um, Everything's fine till a few months later when it's discovered that Tamar is with child. Now, she's in mourning, and Judah is like, burn her. Burn her now. 
She's not, she hasn't kept her end of the bargain. And uh, so as they're getting, preparing her to be burned, she's like, like, don't you know who the father is? And they're like, no, we don't care. And she says, well, maybe he will. Here it is. And she pulls out his driver's license and all the other stuff that he gave him and said, here's the dad. Judah looks at this and he says, um, she's more righteous than I am. And he lets her live. Uh, she actually has twin sons. And uh, one of those sons, Zara, is, I think it's Zara. Is it Zara? No, Perez. Um, Perez is going to be uh, in the lineage of Jesus, actually. Um, but this is, this is an interesting story. Uh, and it's an unusual placement. The story of Joseph is just starting to ramp up, and then all of a sudden we get this Judah Tamar thing. Uh, Nahum Sarna, uh, a 20th century rabbi and commentator, says this story serves a more complex function. It records Judah's rise to prominence in the Joseph narrative. Chapter 38 provides a foil to the Joseph-centered episodes. It hints ever so obliquely at the future Joseph-Judah polarity in the history of the people of Israel, that the northern and southern kingdoms, if you're familiar with the, the rest of the Old Testament. But we find here in chapter 38 that Judah is a man of impulse. He raised a son who was so wicked, God killed him. How, I mean, what kind of a dad raises kids like that? Uh, what does that say about him? He recklessly places his sons with a responsibility that they are not ready for. He lies to Tamar to protect his youngest son, saying that once he's old enough, he will be her husband. After the problem with his sons, he acts on impulses and sleeps with his daughter-in-law, making her, making her for a prostitute. He acts on impulse when he hears that she is with child by ordering her to be burned without any discussion. In the end, he does the right thing. He admits his sins, and Tamar lives. The twin boys are Judah's sons, and he will never sleep with Tamar again. So we continue in the Joseph story. We don't see Judah again until Genesis 43, when we see that, that Judah is a man of responsibility. And here Judah acted with honor. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the Joseph story is his past. We jump forward many years. Joseph is now the vice pharaoh. Uh, the years in prison are over. The seven years of plenty have come and gone. The sons of Jacob have already met Joseph the first time and have returned home with grain. And now they're forced to return, but without Benjamin, they will not be successful. Judah speaks to Israel, however, and says this, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send your brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel, who is Jacob, says, Why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether he still, you still had another brother? But they said the man questioned particularly about us and our relatives, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know that what he would say, or that he would say, bring your brother down? Judah said to his father Israel, send the lad with me. 
and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, we as well as you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If you do not bring him back to if I do not bring him back to you, set him before you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. In the in the first part of that chapter, Reuben offers a plan to, to bring Benjamin down, and he says, If Benjamin dies, you can kill my two sons. Uh, Judah says, if anything happens to Benjamin, I'll be held responsible. Reuben gives Jacob a promise that is sacrificial, but not responsible. It's almost cowardly. But Judah's promise is both sacrificial and personally responsible. It's honorable and it's courageous. If Benjamin dies, I'm the one who will be held responsible. It's also thought out. Judah um, will die from starvation if he doesn't bring Benjamin back. The only hope for the clan is if they return to Egypt and successfully bring back grain. Judah goes from a man of responsibility in the story to a man of nobility. In Genesis 44, um, we see that, uh, that Benjamin is discovered to have the cup of Joseph. You know, the, Joseph hides the cup in Benjamin's sack, and they search, and it goes all the way through. And, uh, and Judah is the one who, uh, who asserts himself. And this is a long passage. I got a lot up there, but I'm not going to read all of this. But he, he pretty much describes what is going on. Um, but go to the, Linda, go to the next slide, I think. There you go. We're going to start here in 27. Judah says, Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my war, wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray, gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since my life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus, your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up to, with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? for fear that I will see the evil that would overtake my father. You, you sense the difference in Judah's thoughts towards his father now compared to at, at the beginning when he would sell Joseph off and, and let his father think that he was dead? Now he, uh, he, he wants no ill to come to his father. He wants no ill to come to his brother. Judah wanted to trade himself for Benjamin. Uh, this is a total reversal from his earlier attitude. 
Judah goes from a man of nobility to a man of leadership. In Genesis 46, uh, verse 28, we, uh, we see that Judah acted prominently. Now Israel, or Jacob, sent Judah before him to Joseph to point the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Jacob is now depending on Judah to be the leader of his family. And from that, um, we, we learned that Judah is a, is a man of promise. And here Judah acts supremely. In chapter 49, Jacob sits his sons down just before he's about to die, and he blesses each of them, the 12 tribes of Israel. And, uh, and Judah is the, the fourth son. Reuben should get the best blessing, and, uh, but remember the Bilhah thing, so he's out. And Simeon and Levi, they, they're, they, they're, uh, their actions at Shechem caused them to default that, that right. And when Jacob gets to, uh, to Judah and blesses him, this is what Jacob says. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall never depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. From Sh until Shiloh comes, to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties a foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to a choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk." Judah is given the right of rulership over Joseph. Just in case you're unfamiliar with the, play, with the place in the biblical narrative, what Jacob is saying is this blessing is that Judah will be the tribe of kings. If you ask me, I would think that Joseph would have been the choice for the blessing of kingship. He's already been a vice king. If you follow the line of Judah, you will find that David is from the house and lineage of Judah. And that means that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the last descendant to hold the scepter and the ruler's staff of Judah. It begs the question, what would have happened if Judah had not lived a life of transformation? How would the plan for the Messiah have been altered? And if we continue this thought, what plans of our Heavenly Fathers might have to change if we are not people of change? We need to be people who are following the path of Judah. The path of Judah is a path I want to follow. He went from criminal to king, from a louse to a lion, from a scoundrel to the scepter successor, from a line almost severed to a line of our Savior. Our lives are to be lives of transformation. If we are not changing, we are not becoming the person who God is looking for or the person that can be a part of his plan. 
The Apostle Paul writes, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is not the first time that I have shared this message. After I did, um, once an, an older man came up to me and he said, you will never convince me that Judah was a good man. And uh, I had just got done preaching. And if, if you've ever preached and somebody comes up into your face when you're done and, and throws something like that, you, you just want to punch them. <laughs> and, and, and at that time, all I said was, I'm sorry you feel that way. But what I wish I would have said is, if Judah can't become a good person, then neither can I, and neither can you. If, if Judah can go from a man who betrays his brother like he did in, to, to the one who, who Jacob chooses to be the, the line of, of my Savior, then, then that gives me hope. The story of Joseph is a story we, we all love, but the story of Judah is the story we should all be living. No matter what your past may hold, no matter where you are right now, sometimes the expectations that we perceive God has for us can be overwhelming. We look at what the end goal is and we give up before we even get started. God isn't looking for Joseph's. He's looking for Judah's. Judah was a person with major flaws and sins. But over time, he became the person that God saw the future in. He took little steps throughout his life that made his life of transformation. Judah's story can be each of our stories. God uses people who are transformed imperfect people with a desire to be more than just a story left on the cutting room floor. Let's pray.